Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here in St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Peter has slipped down the alleyway, small, untraveled little road in Rome, and felt pretty good. He was far away from the commotion that was going on, the soldiers that were running around the crowds chanting who were looking for him. They're looking to kill him. You see, uh, Nero had uh, started a fire, Tacitus, the great Roman historian tells us. He's not a Christian, by the way, but Tacitus tells us a lot of stuff backing up everything that the book of Acts talks about, etc. And Tacitus tells us that Rome, that uh, Nero uh, had probably started the fire in Rome to burn it down, maybe to become the hero. You know, politicians like to do that, cause problems that only they can fix. Or he was doing it to uh, show a point who's in charge. Either way, all of the Roman citizenry believed that Nero did it. The classic, right? What's the classic image of Nero when you think of him? It's this guy, you know, fiddling while Rome burned, right? Well, he's not going to take the blame. So what Nero did is he looked for the group of people that... Uh, the rest of the Romans had come not to like. This new group called the Way, who were following this Jesus, who they said was God, who died for the sins of Nero and all people and rose again three days later. But the Roman citizens called them haters of humankind. That's what the Christians were called by the Roman government. Haters of humankind. Why? Because they didn't participate in the Roman religion of the states, which is interesting. What state has a religion? They wouldn't do the festivals. They wouldn't do the sacrifices to these gods. And so, therefore, they must hate Rome because you're not appeasing these gods who are helping us, who are on our side. You must hate Rome. And if you hate Rome, you must hate human beings. Because Rome, as far as the Romans understood, was the center of the universe. It was the pinnacle of humanity. And, of course, they also wouldn't participate in the morality of the Roman Empire either, etc. So, you must hate human beings. And so, Nero decided they'd be an easy scapegoat, blamed them, and rounded them up. And what he would do is he'd have 
uh, he would uh, have like the carcass of an animal or the fur of an animal put on that uh, particular Christian and in the circus near his house they would be chased around by dogs or when he got bored with that set them up as light posts for his uh, path home to light up the way if you want to be the way he thought Peter was the chief uh, Christian, the apostle. He had convinced so many by the power of the Holy Spirit to enjoy the forgiveness of Jesus, the hope of Christ. I mean, this guy was a super spreader. They wanted him for sure. They already got Paul beheaded him days earlier. But Peter escaped. He's walking away from his fellow Christians. And he's probably feeling comfortable, and he was probably thinking about his wife that's waiting for him and friends and a little more time and maybe take a little break from this apostleship and this Christianity and be comfortable for a little while. And as he's doing this, I bet he had a feeling that he'd had before. You know the feeling. You know it. When you should be doing something that's a little risky and might put you maybe outside of your friend group, and you have to make a choice between doing that and slinking away and wussing out and disappearing. You know what I'm saying? times in your life you've had to make a choice of doing what's right, which actually might cost you something, versus doing what's easy. And the joke is this, doing what's easy may immediately not cost you anything, but you'll have to live with the shame of not doing what's right for the rest of your life. Red Badge of Courage. It's a fantastic book about that. So as Peter's walking, he's he's feeling this feeling, and he's been there before because he probably was remembering the day not too long ago, 30 years ago, probably since that day in 64 AD, in the 30s, he was in the Sanhedrin courts as his best friend, the guy that lifted him up out of the sea when he was drowning, the guy that forgave him all of his sins. The guy that let him hang around with him, the unpopular Peter. And there was Peter as they were trying Jesus, accusing him. And a little servant girl asked him, hey, you're one of them, or said, you're one of them, or aren't you one of them? And Peter said, what? I don't even know him. Three times. And as Peter's walking away from Rome, he had that feeling again. You know what that feels like. And I bet Peter, as he's walking away, looking toward comfort, happy that he's escaping persecution, he's thinking of these other words of Jesus that we just read earlier. He's remembering how Jesus called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Choice Peter had to make as he's walking away. Do I go back and stand with my friends and speak the truth, even if it means death? Or do I slip away? Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever had to make those sort of choices? I love what Jesus says here. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does this mean here? You know, I think we think immediately this means, you know, if someone comes to your house and says, if you don't deny Jesus, I'm going to kill you. And we think that that is martyrdom. And I'll bet you none of you are going to have to deal with that. Although there are people right now in this world that do have to deal with that. But I promise you, I'm sorry, I shouldn't promise. I don't think, although the percentage is getting lower and lower, that you won't have to deal with that. And I would say that's easy martyrdom. A point, a heroic act, gun to your head, denying Jesus. We have a harder martyrdom. Following Jesus versus pursuing what we want. I love what Jesus says, right? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? I mean, seriously, look at your own pursuits, your own gods that you're giving everything to. Do they get in the way of the one God and all that he has given us? Will you sacrifice being a good person, following God's word in order to get something else? What if you could be promised that, you know, yeah, we're not going to kill you right now if you're not a Christian, but you can live to be 87 years old and have good health if you'll just not speak up when someone else is getting hurt? If you just won't, if you just will follow the state religion (laughs) that I believe is increasingly becoming, having a stranglehold. Maybe just be quiet. What if you could be guaranteed that all the the job, your your career would be, you'd be successful, you could do it, it'd be great. You'd be the president of the company or whatever, right? If you just wouldn't be so Christian, if you would just let us laugh at that person, let us tell you what morality is. Jesus makes, I think, a very good point here. No matter what, the joke is this. We're chasing after all these gods, and maybe it's even just having friends. But it only lasts so long. You can have all the money in the world. You have to give it away at some point. You have all the friends in the world. They will let you down at some point. You can have all these accomplishments, but what is it compared to what we have in Jesus? eternal life and real love and forgiveness and a welcome that lasts forever that will never be taken away. Want to be popular friends and do what your friends are doing? That's going to come and go. And eventually, they will turn on you. You want to have great health? You're going to die. You want to be powerful? 
you're going to end up in a box one day. Follow Jesus, and you have all these things now. But it does mean perhaps losing out on some things in life in this world. Not going along with the popular morality may lose a friend. But I want you to think this too. I think sometimes we look at the cross and we want to put what we want the cross to be. So we want to think only politically, oh yeah, this just tells me I need to be more this because I like this. I like being stronger. I like standing up against the current popular morality that's being imposed on us. And I like that. So here's my cross or this, but let's forget about that. Where are those areas where Jesus, Jesus' words are not just about doing what's right or being a Bible believer. But Jesus' words also are about, how about this, forgiving someone. We lose friends because we stand up against maybe what they're pushing on us moral-wise, but I think we also are called to maybe lose friends because we're going to forgive a sinner and not judge somebody for what they've done or who they are or where they live. That's a cross, too. It's not just being moral, but it's also being ridiculously, foolishly forgiving, assuming the best. As we're talking about the kids loving your enemy, that looks stupid to the world, too. To let someone go who hurts you that many times and still tell your friends, no, I'm not going to speak poorly about them. Or as a church, we carry a cross not just by standing up for biblical rights and wrongs, but also by welcoming people that you think there's no way that person should be here. They're not going to fit in. You know what they've done. You know what kind of lifestyle they lead. That's also carrying a cross, being stupidly loving, naively forgiving, risk-taking, welcoming. That's also a cross conservative Christians need to bear, too, that makes us look dumb in front of our friends. People start questioning, are you really standing up for right and wrong when you just said hi to that person or love that person who's supposed to be your enemy? You see how many different ways we have crosses to bear and choose Instead of being popular with our friends or fitting in with the world, which is getting dumber and dumber, we all need a cross to bear. And I tell you what, right now, the biggest cross, I think, is giving mercy and forgiveness, because that's something I don't hear anything about on all sides of the aisle. We drop our crosses, don't we? We like our friends. We like our positions. We don't stick our neck out for someone hurting. How do you add up with what Jesus says here? You choosing your life and your success and your comfort or standing up for what's right and doing what's right? If you're like me, you look like a foolish disciple. So Peter is walking away. He's got this choice to make, and it's starting to dawn on him more and more. That that comfort is right there, but he's got to turn around. And as he's thinking about this, he's thinking about right before what Jesus said here, how Jesus 
asked them, who do people say I am? And the disciples said, some people say you're Elijah, some a prophet, some, uh, you know, uh, some a Isaiah. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter, of course, the bold, strong disciple stands up and says, you are the Christ. A plus answer. And then Jesus starts telling them what the Christ is going to do. And he says, the Christ is going to suffer. The Christ is going to be rejected by everybody who's popular in Israel, the leaders, etc. The Christ is going to be alone on a cross, dying, and three days later, rise again. And Peter didn't like that, because <laughs> that sounds like the dumbest religion you could be a part of. And he actually goes up to Jesus and corrects him on being Jesus, which I'll bet we do too, right? Jesus changed these words. Remove that. Invent our own religion and our own Christianity by skipping over the parts we don't like. And one of the biggest ones is we don't like to suffer. So, Jesus, so Peter goes to Jesus and rebukes the Lord. And Jesus rebukes him, and that's where he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus called him Satan. Because he's in the way of love. And he's in the way of the journey of the Messiah. And he's in the way of God's desire and plan to love. Think about this. Not to judge or have wrath. But in this way, Jesus could have chose comfort and stayed in heaven, but in sense, but instead Christ chose to suffer. Why? Not to be judgmental or give wrath or make sure you know you're wrong. But every other religion, like the one that Peter wanted Jesus to follow, gets in the way ultimately of incredible love in Jesus Christ. And as Peter's walking away, there's one thing I know he remembered, and that is that same Jesus on that cross, just like he said. And instead of having wrath and vengeance upon sinners and upon your enemies and those people that you think need to straighten up, Christ says it is finished and took upon the shame and the guilt of your enemies, of those people, and of you and of Peter. And rose again three days later, and Peter remembered touching him and hugging him and realizing that there is forgiveness for sinners, first of all. There's also life after death, that not even death can stop this Jesus, nor can it stop you. And then finally, I'll bet what changed Peter around is when he remembered the same Jesus who Peter denied, searching him out and personally forgiving him for stinking as a disciple and denying him three times. Peter, this is a true story by the way, turns around. Why? Because he's forgiven by Jesus Christ and nobody can take that away. And it's not worth having a comfy life to like whatever the average lifespan was back then. But second, 
because he knows he'll rise again and it's going to be okay. He can even lose his life in order for maybe convince someone else there is a God and that God loves them. Peter turns around, goes back, they grab him, they're going to crucify him, he stops them and says, please just do it upside down so I don't take any away, anything away, and let my cross not be anything like the cross of the one innocent son of God who died for me and you, whether you like it or not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is an encouragement of joy. You have the ability to be kinder and more loving and more Christ-like, to stick your neck out for others, to do what is right. You don't need to fear anything because Jesus has conquered sin and death. It's going to be okay. Therefore, let us joyfully follow our Lord, not afraid of falling and dropping our cross, by the way, which we do often, because ultimately Jesus picked it up for us. In Jesus' name, amen.